Well, it's with great emotion that I'm here this morning to be able to share God's word with you and to think of being the third generation of Whitman pastors standing at this pulpit is, is a great privilege. And um, first of all, I want to thank you uh, to Pastor and Ruthie and just their amazing hospitality to Lily and Elijah and Levi. We had a great time with them last night and thank you for opening up your house and uh, it's great to make new memories in that house. <laughs> and um, I, re- I can't remember the first time I was here. Some of you have that problem? Probably yeah. not. I yes, Aunt Dorcas definitely has that problem. Uh, this church has meant so much to our family through the years, and it continues to have such an impact on our family. And I just remember this was always the first church that we visited after we flew back from Italy. And of course, coming from the small churches in Italy, and for me, this was the mega church. We walk in and hear that singing and uh, the music and the hymns and everything was just perfect. And, and it's just wonderful to see how God continues to bless your ministry here and to see some, some faces that I recognize, others that I should recognize, others that I, I've never met before. And just to see how God continues to work in this place for me is a great uh, privilege. Well, I'm here with my family. If you, were, you weren't here in the, in the first hour during Sunday school, Melody, I won't have you stand up this time, but Melody, Noah, and Ava. Uh, did I miss something, Ava? Your name isn't Ava anymore? Well, uh, we are here for the summer, and uh, this is the first church, just to continue tradition, the first church we will be at uh, as we report. And uh, a pastor asked me to to bring the word with you today, so I will try to give you as much as I can uh, from God's word. Recently, we finished preaching through the book of Romans in Italy, and so I wanted to bring to you one of the things that touched my life the most in those two years and a half of studying the book of Romans. So, would you agree with me that we live in some very unique times? You looked at that video, and things have already changed since we we did that video just not too long ago. I'm glad to see nobody has to wear a mask to church anymore. I'm glad to see uh, that we are able to to go about freely. And um, it's been a rough few years, right? You know, times are always hard, but maybe for for most of us, it was one of the harder times that we've experienced in in the last decade at least. And um, you almost don't need to read the news to understand just how bad the world is in so many ways. Um, there, you read about invasions, you read about wars, you read about inf- uh, rampant inflation, hurricanes, flooding, train wrecks, random acts of violence in the streets. Uh, just this year in Perugia, we've had several earthquakes. Eva missed her school trip because of an earthquake. Um, it can feel so helpless at times. Then again, in 2 Timothy, Paul warns that the last words of Paul on this earth, the last letter, he says to Timothy, writing from a dungeon, he says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, 
high-minded lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. The times are tough, and the weakness is all around us. But you know, there's something even more serious going around than COVID or earthquakes or hurricanes or smoke from, from Canada. Every day, the world ignores and often goes against his creator. The greatest tragedy is that God has created man for a relationship with him, and man continues to ignore and oppose and even persecute those who follow Jesus. Unfortunately, things aren't much better amongst those that, are, that claim to be Christians at times. Often the faith of those who claim to follow Jesus is simply a PS in a busy life where everything they do, everything we do, maybe doesn't give us that satisfaction that we're looking for and that only God can give. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, it says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So I want to ask you, I want to challenge you with this thought this morning. If you could do anything, if you had anything in your power, what would you be willing to do to make this world a better place? There can be lots of things that come to mind. Maybe activism in politics, activism in, in the social world. But would you think that if I told you, would you believe it if I told you that the solution to a better world is much simpler and we already have it in our hands. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Romans. I'm glad you're, you are, our theme verse was from Romans. I also would like to, to bring you to Romans. Romans 15. This may be the first time I have to get down from the pulpit to get my reading glasses. Tells you that I'm getting older too. I have a large print Bible in Italy, and I'd never realized it was large print until this moment. <laughs> it really does make a difference. Romans 15, 30 to 33. says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for your word today. I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. How often we are hardened by our sins and by the distractions that are around us. But God, thank you that every time you bring us back to truth, you bring us back to hope, you bring us back to certainty, to the foundations upon which the earth themselves have been created and for the glory that you will receive in the, in the end times that you already have become, begun to receive through us, your children, today. In your name we pray, amen. <coughs> 
Our church, as I said, just finished uh, reading through, uh, or studying rather, through Romans, and we took a break during the COVID time to uh, talk about uh, end times, because that was what it was on everyone's mind. And then we got back into it, and so then we just finished uh, this wonderful book. Of course, I'm very biased of all the books of the Bible. This is the one that was written to the Italians, so you can imagine how important it is to us. And I'd like to challenge you that the verses that we just read are able to change your life as all scripture and are able to turn the world upside down for God. And yet, often, I would say, they're some of the least obeyed words in scripture. I would like to challenge you to think this. In these few verses today, these words of Paul are a call to arms. Today, God's word gives us a strong imperative. Paul uses the same language in my favorite verse of all the Bible, my life verse, when he says, I beseech you, therefore, Romans 12:1, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you. These are the words of Paul this morning. Paul exhorts us. Paul incites us to battle. And what is the battle to which Paul incites us this morning? Look in the text. It's the battle of prayer. That's right. It's the battle of prayer. So why do you think it is that even though prayer is so strategic, it often gets so little time in our lives? Am I the only one that struggles with making prayer a priority in his life? Maybe because we don't know why to pray. Maybe because we don't know what to pray. Maybe because we don't know how to pray. But Paul, for our good news this morning, teaches us all three of these things this morning. So let's look at the first verse. It says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul says something interesting about prayer here. He says that prayer is strife. What is strife? Some of you who love old hymns might say, well, I thought the strife was or, right? There is a strife that is or, and that is what Jesus did on the cross. But there's also a strife for which we must continue this morning into the end of our days. According to Webster, the great dictionary online, he says, uh, strife is a bitter, sometimes violent conflict. In other words, strife is battle. God is telling us to fight. Many of you know that I'm the oldest of four, and all of us four were boys except for one. Uh, So as most boys, we were really good at fighting. And I don't think my parents ever said, you guys need to fight more. But Paul is saying here that we need to fight more. That we need to fight There comes a time in our lives, which is the moment when we believe, when fighting is not only right, but as we discover this morning, it's an imperative. The apostle Peter states in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know, we don't need to go find the battle because the battle came to us. The minute that you trusted Christ as your master and savior, the battle came to you. I can't 
describe how many little battles we've gone through just to get this message to you this morning. Our washing machine broke. Our, our bank stopped, stopped uh, our online banking stopped working. Our, our flight got canceled twice. And then we got to Charlotte and we didn't have a flight. We had to wait till the next morning. That's just to give you a little example. I could give you the whole list if you want, but I'm, I'm sure you want to hear about Jesus and not about our flight plans. But we're in battle. We're in a war. True Christian life is not a walk in the park. Jesus fought in prayer. Some of you may be familiar with E.M. Bounds. He wrote a ton about prayer. And he wrote a very uh, poignant thing when he says, for us often prayer is the preparation for battle, right? He says, but for Jesus, prayer was the battle. In Luke 22, 44, it says that being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is the way that Jesus prayed. And so Bond says, the results of his prayer were evident. While Jesus fought in prayer, the disciples slept. While the disciples ran away in fear, Jesus went courageously to the cross. Paul's message is clear. If you take away one thing this morning, it's this. Every point will, will be developed from this first one. Battle through prayer fight through prayer so how do we battle through prayer good thing is paul tells us here he says we battle together why is it that often we insist on living our christian lives on on our own right there's this sense of independence um i don't know how many times i've, I've tried to counsel christians who maybe stop coming to church i love that you quoted hebrews this morning um, about about the importance of being part of the, the assembly and it's easy to get caught in that, to get caught in the individualistic side that we think of, of Christianity. Historically, um, I just want to bring you to the past of Italy. When you think of Italy, you think of a big family sitting together, maybe relatives, maybe friends, right, a long table. And every movie about Italy, they show it. You know? And there's, there's a lot of truth to that. So you can imagine my shock not too long ago as we went into a restaurant and I saw a family, a mother and two children, Pretend this is my phone. Every one of them like this. Nobody's talking. What happened to the Italian meal? What happened to the communion? And sometimes church is that way. We're all in our little lives, like our little phones, with our neck curved, trying to avoid eye contact with anybody else, afraid that we might run into somebody else's problems or issues, or maybe face our own problems and issues. In times of peace, everyone does what they want. But remember... We're not in times of peace. We're at war. War, says here, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, Ephesians 6.12, the, of the present darkness, spiritual forces. And, you know, not too far from Italy right now, there's a war going on still between the, uh, the Ukraine and, and Russia. And it's a terrible war. We have people in our church who have families who have been have lost everything. But as terrible as a physical war is, a spiritual war is even more terrible. And there's a reason for that. People around us are awaiting a terrible judgment. God's righteous wrath, his eternal punishment about to strike down on all humanity for our wickedness. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill your body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him 
who can destroy the body, both the soul and the body in hell. Jesus is trying to awaken us to a greater reality, greater than what we're facing today around us. It's around us, but we don't see it. We often live as if life were here, we're all that there is, right? We're functional atheists, one might say. Instead, what we're learning here is that we're called to fight for something more important and more lasting, something eternal. We need to fight together, therefore. God commands us. Paul command, reminds us here. I love uh, one, of the, one of the statements of the, the American Revolution I love the most. That you, I think, think you still see it around in money and things like that. It says, united we stand, right? We weren't called to do this together by ourselves, but together. Christian life demands that we battle in prayer together. We fight as one unit. Therefore, we need each other and we need to pray together. Battle through prayer together. The second thing we see in this verse is that we battle in Jesus' name. It says, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Jesus, we could say, is our banner. And uh, I discovered that Ruthie loved history. I hope you still love history, right? And uh, how many of you love history? If you live around here, how do you, how do you not love history, right? There's so much history in this area of America. And of course, where I live, um, you can dig up a stone and you'll find a dead Etruscan. It's just, it's all there. Well, uh, one of the things I never understood about war was, especially in these movies, you see these people running the battle, and there's one guy without a weapon. You see, you know the, the guy I'm talking about? The guy with the flag. And I never understood that. He, and somebody gets shot, the, the guy's running, and he gets shot. And the next guy, he's got his weapon with him, and he drops the weapon and carries the flag. I'm like, you can't kill anybody with a flag. Why do you do that? Until... I discovered something in scripture in Exodus 17. In fact, the flag, why does somebody carry the flag? They carry the flag because it represents what we are willing to give our life for, our country, our freedom. So you go to Exodus 16. I won't have you open your Bibles there, but um, do you remember when Moses built an altar? You may remember he built probably more than one altar. But when Israel defeated the Amalekites, Moses built an altar, and do you know what he called this altar? The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my flag. We battle in Jesus' name. We battle in Jesus' name because Jesus is our banner. Jesus is the one that we fight for. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. It's not a magic formula. It's not like the, the prayer doesn't work until I say in Jesus' name, amen. I kind of thought that when I was a kid, I'm sure. But we are proclaiming that we battle for Jesus through that prayer. Jesus is our Savior, but especially he is our Lord. Then Paul adds something else. He says, by the love of the Spirit. I love how, how Paul puts the Trinity in these, in these short verses. He says, by the love of the Spirit here. He says, we, we battle through love motivated, he says, by the Holy Spirit. Not only do we battle in Jesus' name, not only do we battle together, but we battle motivated by the Holy Spirit. God not only gave us a name, not only gave us an authority, but he gave us the support for us to battle in prayer. Romans 8, 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We pray through love, 
he says, we pray through love of the Spirit, the Spirit that God has put in our lives, in our hearts. He has sealed us with the Spirit. Do you ever wonder how you're able to love certain people? I'm sure you got somebody who takes extra challenge to love in your life. Is that true? We all have that one person that came to your mind when I said that. And do you know how you love them? Paul says it here. You love them through the Spirit. John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We've had people come to our church, I'm sure you have, who have said, well, there's just not enough love in that church. And sometimes I think we forget that we're a bunch of sinners saved by grace and that we're still working and, and working out our salvation, right? We are saved by grace through faith, but that salvation comes to fruit through our lives and through our love. Then Paul adds another interesting element here. We battle, he says, by addressing God the Father. Who do we pray to? Now, there's two answers to that. Uh, in the Bible, there are examples of Trinitarian prayers, right? To the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But many times in the Bible, and probably the majority of the prayers, are addressed to the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. And who do we pray for? Paul also approaches this. He says, we battle for one another. We intercede for one another. You have been praying faithfully for the Whitman family now for three generations, both in the States and in Italy. Intercession is one of the most wonderful gifts that God has given us, as is described in the Bible. One of the things that uh, people in Italy are confused about is they think that they pray that the dead will pray for them, right? You pray to the dead, and the dead will pray for you. But we know that's not what the Bible teaches. It's the living. It's you and I who are called to be the warriors of prayer, to intercede one for another in our lives. Paul knew that his mission depended on the prayers of the people in Rome. He didn't even know them. He'd never been to that church. He'd never been to Rome yet, but he knew that his ministry depended on their prayers. So he's asking them to pray that they would be united in the mission. And that is such an encouragement for us today that we too battle for one another. So I have a little application before we get to the second point here. And uh, I would like you to consider this. There's another way we can say I'm praying for you, okay? And I don't want you to lie about it, but if you're sitting next to somebody that you pray for right now, I'd like you to turn to them and say, I am fighting for you. You can do that if you want. It's okay. Okay, now this week, maybe you can th- God, God put somebody on your heart, and maybe it's even an unbeliever, okay? And I want you to write them a note, a text message, talk to them, say, I'm fighting for you. And if they're an unbeliever, they'll be like, what? You're fighting for me? I'm praying for you. I've never once, or maybe once, had an unbeliever not want me to pray for them. Even the most hard-hearted unbeliever, in my experience, wants somebody, wants to know that somebody's praying for them. And what an open door that is to the gospel, right? 
But let's get back to our, our church because this is the main emphasis here. It's fighting for one another because we're on a mission. We are fighting. We are in war together. You support me. I support you. We pray for each other. I pray for you. I pray for you almost every day as I pray for all of our supporters. You pray for us as we represent this church and more than that, we represent Jesus Christ to the people of Italy. We are fighting for each other. What a privilege. So now I'd like to, to bring you, before I run out of time here, to the second of three points here. Now Paul tells us why we battle in prayer one for another. Battle in prayer, he says, to obtain victory. Verse 31. Paul explains why he's asking the church in Rome to pray for him. He gives us two reasons here, two very practical reasons. He says that I might, one, be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And we know what happened in Acts that he had a hard time with those people in Judea, right? The unbelievers. And that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted to the saints. So, these are important for us too. Uh, none of us probably have any plans to go to the unbelievers of Judea, nor to bring a collection to the saints in Jerusalem. But there's a very important lesson for us here. We battle in prayer, first of all, to obtain pers our personal needs. You know, I've known of Christians who say, well, I don't want to bother God with that. I don't want to ask him. No. Sometimes I think we hesitate because it's true. We're selfish and we ask God for the wrong things, as James says. But there's also the fact that we don't ask him for the things that we should. You do not have because you do not ask. We need to pray. We need to fight for one another for our personal needs. I've heard people, this is, I'm, I'm sure it's never happened in this church, but uh, I've heard people say, we, we support the ministry, not the personal needs of the missionary. Unfortunately, everything is personal and everything is ministry for all of us. We talked about that this morning, right? When you go drop, drop off your kids at school, that is ministry. When you go out for coffee, that is ministry. Everything we do needs to be ministry. We are full-time followers of Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. He has some special needs here. And, and they, somebody might look at them as personal, but he sees them as all part of the big picture. When we serve God, sooner or later, as in Paul's case, we will be in harm's way. In the name of Christ, every day people lose. Family, friends, work, health, finances, life. I'll bet that even somebody here has lost something because of their faith. I'm convinced of that. Paul knew that it would not be easy. He's looking at this, the plans he had. He desired to go to Rome and then to Spain, but he knew that first he had to go to Jerusalem and he had these two concerns, right? Two concerns that he knew that he needed people praying for. Paul had no idea what was about to happen to him, but he sensed that there was something and that it would not be easy for him to go to Jerusalem. And of course, we all know that the, the opposition he, he received, if you go to Acts 21, we see that he, after his arrival, he was attacked and almost killed at the temple. During his imprisonment, there was a conspiracy to kill him. He was falsely accused. He was in prison and waited for two years just to be judged for something that he had not done. Um, by the way, if you go to Italy, things have not changed too much in the judicial system. It's very familiar when you, when you read these things. The bureaucracy, the judicial system is the same now as it was 2,000 years ago. But small parentheses. Some things never change. Well, Paul ended up in Rome, right? But he only ended up when he appealed to Caesar, who, by the way, we forget that that Caesar that he's talking about was Nero, 
who then became the first uh, emperor to persecute Christians, if you remember. So he needed, he didn't know all these things, of course, when he's writing this letter, but he knew that there would be a war. They were in battle, and he needed these people to fight for him. So did God not answer that prayer? I would challenge you to say that God completely answered that prayer. He got to Rome alive. All those things happened to him, but he never lost his life until the moment when he became a martyr many years later. So there's a second battle in prayer exemplified in, in, in Paul. Prayer for victory in our mission for God. Not just victory over our personal needs, but victory in the mission. And it's true. The mission needs to take up our life. The mission is our life. Our life is the, the, the mission. Sometimes it would be a little bit frustrating growing up in the Whitman family and you have lunch and there's always, uh, now I don't know if how it was with grandpa growing up, uh, grandpa and grandma, but I kind of feel they were the same, uh, same kind. It was always ministry. Like you, you could never have a meal without talking about what was going on in the church, right? Because there's, there's just this all-encompassing love for the people of, of God and the church of God and the needs of the church of God. And that, that's okay, because we love what we do, and we are called to be followers of, of Jesus. So there's a victory in our mission for God. Everything we should do says we should um, serve directly or indirectly for the progress of the gospel. And I already quoted today in the Sunday school lesson, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all for, for what? The glory of God. Everything, everything, everything we do, from the moment you get up uh, to the sleep during the night, everything we do needs to be for the glory of God. Paul needed to hand over a collection. He, I don't know about you, but I, I get nervous when I'm carrying somebody else's money. Can you imagine carrying around in a time when they had robbers, when they, um, they had to tra uh, travel by, by sail and by walking, think of pirates and all the things that he could have faced, and he was carrying money from all the churches of, of Asia, and also of parts of Europe to bring them to Jerusalem. So he, he, you can see why he needed prayer. He had, he had a big responsibility, and those people needed their help. So before we get to the final point this morning, I want to ask you this. What part of Jesus' calling has he called you to? And what could get in the way of that calling? How can you pray for the mission of your brothers and sisters around the world? Paul had his eyes on the goal. Prayer is more than a simple conversation with God. And it's also a conversation with God. But it's a battle against the forces of evil. A battle, I would say there's a battle against the forces of evil, a battle against our spiritual laziness, and a battle against our indifference. Those are three battles that come to mind when we pray. The fact is that prayer is an act of faith. It's an act of faith in God's will and in God's power. That's why Paul can state now in verse 32 and 33, he says, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Then he says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The final point I'd like to share with you this morning from these verses is that we are to battle in prayer, trusting God. God is sovereign over all the plans of our life and the fulfillment of our prayers. Paul appeals here to the will of God. What does the word sovereignty mean to you? Who is a sovereign? A sovereign is a king. When we are trusting the will of God, the sovereign will of God, we're saying we trust God as our king. It's simple. That's all it is. We know that his will will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Paul leaves the fulfillment of his plans to God's hands. Think about exactly as I just quoted the Lord's Prayer. As it says, as, as Jesus modeled to us how we are to pray for his will to be done. In James, uh, we're studying James, and since we did Romans, we figured we should preach James next in our church. And James says this, uh, Go to now, you say, to do today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. What, are, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and that vanish away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If everything about our life is a mission, then we need to remember to put God's will above everything, even our own preferences in our lives. God takes to heart our good and knows our desires, as we see here. I'm sure you're familiar with Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers, Baptist preachers from the, the 1800s, and he says, God, or at least some people say he says this, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Prayer is all about trusting God's heart for our lives. If we live with God and for God, our desire will be to be closer and closer, not to our desires, but to God's desires. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and, and he shall give you the desires of thy heart. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Finally, look at verse 33. We learn one last thing about the battle in prayer, trusting God. We learn that God will give us peace no matter what answer we receive to our prayers because God is the God of peace. God not only gives us peace, but God is peace. God is with all those that are his children, are the followers of Jesus. We are in a war, but we are in a war with the Prince of Peace at our side. And he will restore peace and joy in the world. God will be with us, as he promises. He will be with us in our trials, in our mission, in our victories, in our failures, in our defeats. He will be with us when we battle in prayer to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. Bounds also, I mentioned Bounds before, he says, no amount of instruction will remedy for a failure to pray. Neither sincerity, nor diligence, nor gift will make up for that lack. You can do everything in the ministry. You can be the greatest evangelist in the world. Evangelist in the world. You may be out there on the streets, but I guarantee you, if your prayer life is empty, you're missing step number one. On my busiest days, it's easy to skip my prayer time with God. It's, in my busiest weeks, it's easy for me to forget to write my prayer letter. But the fact is, I rely on the prayers of the saints. I, I rely on your battle, your fight for the ministry, for our lives. And so I need to always remember, drop everything and start with prayer. And then you may go on to see what God will do through those prayers. God doesn't call us to change his will, 
somebody said, but to fulfill it. You're fulfilling God's will through your praying. Isn't that amazing? You are a tool in God's hands. You are an instrument for his glory. So I'd like to encourage you as we wrap it up this morning to battle. Continue to battle for Italy. Continue to battle for America. Continue to battle for our children, for our grandchildren, for our families, for our relatives, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our co-workers. And yes, for people of every nation and every tribe, including those of our dear country of Italy. Let's battle in prayer so that the church, the bride of Christ, might go into all the world with the good news of Jesus who died and rose to bring sinners to be fully reconciled and submitted to God. I'd like to leave you with one small piece of a thought. When were Paul and Barnabas called into ministry? It's easy in a prayer meeting. So let's battle together. They say that the, the, all the great awakenings of America started in a prayer room. The great awakening of the great revivals started in New York City with a group of men that just decided they wanted to pray together. And God changed this country and brought us back to himself. And I'm praying that God will bring that kind of revival here and to the country of Italy. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's pray. Dear loving God, thank you that you give us this gift of prayer. God, we know that the enemy doesn't want us to pray. And that's why you said it's a war. Help us to be in battle one for another, to fight the good fight through prayer. And God, we won't see all the results of that prayer, but we are convinced by your word and by your truth that God, someday we will see the fruit of all that we have fought for through these prayers. God, I know you will continue to work in this church because you promised that the work that, that, you have, that you started, you will continue in each one of these dear brothers and sisters. And God, I just pray for the land of Italy and for the United States that together we may be beacons for the truth to reach the ends of the world with the good news of hope and joy and salvation and freedom. Amen.